With Nissan. Number one for petrol in Ireland. Number one for electric. Nissan. Innovation that excites. This is News Talk. Welcome back to The Hard Shoulder with me, Susan Kyo, sitting in for Ivan Yates today. Every Friday, as we do, it's time to take a look back at the stories that really got us talking over the past seven days. And joining me for this edition of The Final Furlong in studio this evening are Teresa Lowe, CEO of Teresa Lowe Communications, podcaster and broadcaster, Dr. Sabina Brennan, neuroscientist and author of 100 Days to a Younger Brain, and Barbara Scully, broadcaster and journalist. I am blessed among women this good Friday. (laughs) Thank you all for coming in. And and so is Dan. So is Dan. He is indeed blessed among women all the time. Now, we want to start with a story about Easter eggs. Barbara, I might come to you um, first on this because I know that you have little people in your life. Children and Easter eggs. I don't have little people anymore. (laughs) I have one little person very long way away. one little person in Australia. But But what would be your take on... We don't want to be a killjoy here, but no. it seems the advice is we would want to lay off the Easter eggs this weekend. Oh, for God's sake. You know, I mean, like it's Easter. Easter is about chocolate. It's the one time <laughs> you can stuff your face. It's like Halloween when the kids come in with the bags full of all the loot that they have gotten. You know, and there is one part of your brain that says, I'm going to take this and I'm going to take out the really bad stuff. And I'm going to, you know, what the hell? It's this is Easter. Yeah. Stuff your face with chocolate Easter eggs. That's fine. Make yourself sick. I have no problem. Um, I mean, when they were younger... I did actually in Dunn's last weekend buy, and I was only coming in here in the car and I thought, I don't know where they've gone and I suspect they may already be gone. I bought four, there are four of us now at home. I bought four very modest, small <laughs> Easter eggs, one for everybody in yeah. the audience and I haven't seen them since, so I'm not sure. But Somebody what I had used, a great night on Wednesday yeah, yeah, night exactly. watching something on the telly. But what I used to do when the kids were smaller was, because they did, I mean, I only ever bought them one small Easter egg each um, and then they would get them from their godparents and their aunties and their granny and whatever else. So there was always a lot of chocolate. And I did find that maybe, you know, kind of after Easter Monday and they were usually pretty glad of it. We used to pool all the chocolate that was left and I used to buy a large box of Rice Krispies and we used to make Rice Krispie buns and they took them into school. Absolutely, then. yeah. You just get need it to, over, you get enough. You kind of need to over. get, it, get mm. rid of it. Teresa, are you fond of an Easter she, egg? Will you have an Easter I, egg this I am, weekend? but I, I'll tell you, I feel like the most neglectful mother in the world listening to you because I haven't bought any Easter eggs and I normally do it on uh, uh, Saturday, the previous day, Holy Saturday. Yeah, and, that's still uh, time. And there has been times where we There's haven't found any. Sometimes. Exactly. Oh, I feel very gosh. bad. I feel very bad. And then you make Rice crispy Buns. No, I don't it. anymore. This is when I had oh, children. I couldn't give it. I I'm now bad. worried about them coming in with too much alcohol on board. <laughs> Chocolates, I'm good with. I, I, I do think that it would be absolutely wrong to deprive children on mm. Easter Sunday of all days. Now, the, it's the rest of the year that's the problem. Um, all the sugar that, that, that people are consuming and children are consuming. Um, and they do say there's 73 spoons of sugar in, in an Easter egg. Um, and if you're going to have four or five, you're going to be sick. There's no doubt about that. But my problem now is, you know, when you buy an Easter egg, I hark back to the times when I was a child. The chocolate was thicker, it was tastier, it was much lovelier. Normally there was lots of things in the Easter egg. It was packed with sweets and stuff. Now, unless you're spending a fortune on Easter eggs, that's not going to be the case anymore. Everything is, it, what's it called? Is it, it, it economising, size economising. Everything is reduced, oh, everything is thinner. Everything, Shrinkflation, nothing, isn't it? Nothing yes. is, is that what it is? Yeah. It nothing is, is as nice as, as it used to be. So, um... That is my real problem with with the stuff that you have now. You know, um, that that this 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 business of shrinking it. Um, now there are some unusual eggs. I don't know how you would feel about this. Anybody here for uh, an avocado egg? Ugh, no. 
No, I don't think so either. Or a cheddar egg called oh, no. cheester. It's a spreadable cheese egg. No, no, just normal chocolate, chocolate for me. I don't even like chocolate that's too fancy. No, like I would Cadbury's. just like yeah. Cadbury's. Forgive me, Cadbury's exactly, chocolate. Yeah. Easter egg. That's all you need. Sabina, what did you make of this? Uh, four eggs per child is what the average, what they'll be eating over the course of the weekend. Too much? Yeah. Barbara's going to hate me and accuse me of, of, of child <laughs> disagree abuse in my, in, in my children. Um, uh, my kids, I didn't give them Easter eggs, actually. Oh my, um, my kids didn't. They, after a certain point, yeah, yeah. And actually, they didn't get sweets um, during oh the week God. either. Um, such a bad mother. Me too. So no Easter eggs at Easter for your children? No, what we did was, um, well, just because, and I'm not going to go into the science of it, but it interferes with concentration and brain function. And anyway, long story short, um, I wanted to, one of my kids particularly needed to be kept away from sweets. And I, that just is grossly unfair to do that to one child so and we all stop yeah. them mm. so what I would do oh no, no they weren't really deprived Barbara they just actually I'm getting very worried what I did what I did was well how are we going to do this and and so actually what we did was we worked out like kind of you know well you spend a fortune on biscuits and chocolates and sweets and all those kind of rubbish really during during the week so my kids were mad into micro machines so they got the equivalent of into what, what? micro machines so they were boys so they're they're little like little cars or little little jeeps or little characters. Oh. It's just like a, a collectible but you can't toy. Eat them. No, you can't eat oh. them. You can try, but actually, <laughs> what, what was really interesting though was they got to collect and build up this huge collection. I actually became the envy of their friends. They really? say, "How come you get a toy?" Now, every Sabina, very can I ask you though? How did you stop other people buying the eggs? Like, do people know just don't bring? Yeah, eggs we would. To Sabina we would. Brown's we house? would ask, and then what we would do when. Um, there was, the play dates were kind of hard because people always give, yeah, give out junk treats. So actually, most adults were brilliant. I would say, look, listen, please don't, you know, give give sweets because it will lead towards X, Y, Z. Um, and but I would bring the boys. I, I would send the boys with a big bottle of 7-Up which didn't have the additives in it and big bags of popcorn to share with everybody else. And actually most parents were wonderful. But one day, one day, one parent uh, clearly had said to my son that your your mother is a bit of a... a meanie. Meanie and <laughs> actually gave him... But we actually saw a huge change in, oh, really? in, yeah, in, in our child's behaviour that day. Have they stayed very awful. healthy then as they've kind of grown up? They're grown ups now. <laughs> so they, like, they'll be stuffing their face <laughs> with chocolate eggs. No, not event. really, no. No, they, they they would go through fits and starts, I think, like the rest of us. But I mean, it's their responsibility now. Mm. Back then, it kind of was mine, you know. So at Easter, they got kind of a bigger, a bigger toy, and and and. Can I just say, just because I painted myself as being really rubbish, my children still have all their own teeth. <laughs> I reckon we're, we're winning. We're winning. That's a very important point. <laughs> I had so, really so, good some of my children; their teeth for, aren't for great doing actually it at the time. Mm. Now we want to move on and talk about uh, another story that's been a big talking point all of this week, and that is Notre Dame and the devastating fire that engulfed it earlier on this week. Um, I think the world was in mourning really over uh, this cathedral earlier on in the week. Barbara, um, what did you make of kind of the way all of this played out? There's, you know, obviously it was a really sad thing to happen, a, a gothic masterpiece, all of the rest. But, you know, it will be rebuilt. They've promised to rebuild it. Nobody died. Um, you well, know, was, was there a bit of an overreaction to this? I don't know. I think I, I still am very conflicted about what I think about the whole thing. Um, and I, I haven't got to the end point. I don't think we generally have got to the mm. end point yet. In other words, and it was interesting when when the first reports that I saw on Twitter of, of there was a fire in Notre Dame and it looked pretty serious. 
Um, and my, my my daughter was upstairs who is studying for Leaving Cert, but she's very interested in kind of what goes on in the world and current affairs and everything else like that. And I just texted her upstairs and I said, have you seen what's happening in Paris? And she literally came flying downstairs and she said, oh no, what's happening? And she thought it was a terrorist attack. Mm. So it was funny, you know, that that was the first reaction. So the... But I mean, it was horrific. And there were so many, for me, parallels with 9-11, watching the people of Paris, like the way I watched the people of New York, watching an iconic building that was very much part of the fabric of their city um, be destroyed um, in such a dramatic fashion. And then there was the the, 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 the people and the companies who came forward um, within 12 hours and started pledging these enormous Huge sums of, of money. money. And my initial reaction was, aren't people great? And then I started to go hold on a minute, there's something really not gel- not sitting right with me about any of this. And I'm still not at the end point of how I feel. But generally, Notre Dame is a very important, iconic building in Paris, but it is just a building. A building. That's number one. Number two, we have so many enormous problems in the world, particularly in Europe. We still have problems with refugees that has never been properly uh, dealt with. We have problems with the environment and with climate change and with how we're destroying the planet that we call home. And these people all have such deep pockets that they can come up with such enormous amounts of money. Shines a light on the inequality in the world shines a light on the responsibility that both individuals and corporations really should have when they have that amount of money that they can lay their hands on very quickly and without obviously much thought having gone into it. So that there's all of that. Um, And that there's also the fact that I was trying to think, why would you, I can understand why you would be, you know, yeah, I'll donate a hundred million, says Mr. Whatever he is with loads of money. Obviously, because he feels a deep connection with this building that is in, you know, he's French and it's within his city. And how we can have that, but yet we cannot feel the same connection with people because they don't look the same <clears throat> as us, because they don't speak the same as us. And yeah, because I think from that's somewhere been else. kind of generally the way people are yeah, a little bit confused I'm, about and it. And I'm still all over the place. Yeah. I, I think you. that, you know, your point was made also by Carl Kinsler in his article. I found the article on joe.e. And he said, of course, that, you know, it has to be rebuilt. It's iconic. It's wonderful. It's not just the French and the Catholics. Yes. It's the whole world loves this building. But he said, if two men in a world of more than 7 billion people can provide 300 million um, Euro to restore Notre Dame within six hours, then there's enough money in the world to feed every mouth, shelter yes. every family, educate every child. Uh, bricks and mortar and stained glass might burn, but they do not bleed, they do not starve, they do not suffer. Yeah, it's a fantastic suffer. piece that he it wrote. It was really actually. fantastic. It was a really, really, really good and, piece. And, and it was very balanced, actually, but, but it was such a good point. I mean, there's 140,000 homeless people in France. There are 10,000 of those are children. Um, so, you know, it shows that the money is there at the click of a finger, as, as he says in his article, the money was there. Sabina, also I think what this story showed as well, that um, we we kind of are all fighting with each other to be the most outraged and the most hurt and the most um, at loss when these big things happen. Isn't that a very sort of new modern thing that people take to Twitter, take to Instagram. There were so many pictures of people standing outside Notre Dame. You couldn't even see the cathedral. All you could see was the people. But we're all we're all in such a rush to uh, to, to have this outpouring of grief. I think that's a very 
that says an awful lot maybe about where we're at in society. I, I think that's a very much a social media thing. And I think the thing, I think part of it, because trying to understand it, um, like Barbara, you know, um, you know, in terms of that the money can come in for something like that. Um, I don't believe these things are a zero-sum game. I, I, I think that's a, that's a problem, generally speaking, when people start comparing things like, uh, and I'm probably going to be shut down, but if, if people bear me out, that, you know, if you have to tackle homelessness, it, 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 it doesn't mean that that should be at the expense of the arts. And people will say, well, if people are homeless, surely they need a house first. But then the argument being, well, actually, OK, then, if we don't need the arts, turn off your television, don't read a book, don't listen to music, don't have any of that in your life, and we'll put every cent but that we have money into... For, for no, so that's surely. what I'm trying to say. So then we put everything into... Um, into looking after the homeless and then you actually have created another problem which is severe depression amongst people you know disruptive behaviours because people can't engage in enjoying behaviours so I think it's important not to make it you know that they're either they, or either argument. or yeah. mm-hmm. um, the interesting thing what I'd like to know is um, you see we don't know anything about these families that can come in with aside from the argument that they have that much wealth you have no idea how much money they give to other charities or how they support other things. We don't know. So you're not, you don't have a full picture on that. One good thing that has happened Although from we it, do know that corporations like the corporations that have donated also in big money don't pay enough taxes. That's mm. without any doubt. And if they have this amount of funding that they have at their disposal to put immediately into the... Re- and I agree with you about the funding of the arts. I remember we had that conversation here during the recession, you know, that surely instead of cutbacks to social welfare, we should be cutting funding to the arts. And I totally agree with you. If we don't have the arts, if we don't have culture, what's the point of living? Mm. But at the same time, there is a priority issue here. And I think it's more not about the spotlight on which gets funding and which doesn't, but it's about... the these people and companies that have this amount of disposable income. Can I say the arts need more funding? Yeah. They're, they're totally underfunded. Yeah. When you look at the orchestras, they're trying to merge the two orchestras. We don't have an opera house. We're the one European city mm. that doesn't have, uh, Dublin is the one European capital that doesn't have an opera house. No, I agree. So it's not an either or. But yeah, there is enough money worldwide in these corporations, private inv- individuals that have all this wealth, to do both. But I think, oh no, no, absolutely. That that's exactly, you know, what I I'm saying. Both, both, but but I think is yeah, we're all saying the same, the same thing. thing yeah. We're all saying the same thing. Um, but going back to this, what you were saying about you know everybody being a part of it, and I do think that's related to so to, to culture. Yeah, it probably is a social media. I think that's phenomenon. a social media thing. But I think what's interesting as well is just trying to understand it from a human perspective, because this is about empathy and people felt huge connection somehow with this event, and part of that is um, witnessing the event itself. So they were bearing witness to this event as it was happening, as it was playing out. And that actually causes the release of certain chemicals in your system, raising blood pressure, raising stress levels, etc. And that actually can lead to an inducement of empathy. And then you might not. You see, what I'm interested in doing is how can how can we change that? How can we get people to feel this same empathy for people who are homeless that's exactly for the outpouring? Right. So that's where I come from. I'm trying to, well, what is happening in everyone's brains? That that's this exactly. Is it to do with proximity? 
actually, though, is it so because... So it's actually, I think what it's partly to do, and I don't have the answer, is um, stories matter to us hugely as human beings. Um, and that's where empathy co- comes from. Um, and we get we got to witness that story as it unfolded. Same as we're getting, you know, the Parisians also but got to fairness, witness... Sabina, we've witnessed people falling out of boats in the Mediterranean. I, but you see, I do but that. But that's why I think it's proximity. So I yeah. think in a way, if you've never been there or it seems that's very exactly far it. away yeah. or whatever, everyone's mm. been to yeah. Paris, everyone's been outside the Notre Dame or inside the Notre Dame. And I think proximity yeah. Yeah. is and what familiarity. Made, and familiarity it's is like the difference It's like when a celebrity suddenly dies. It was like when Princess Diana it was very like suddenly Diana. died and everybody the went, emotion, what? This is this iconic building that yeah. like a lot of us have yeah. seen and visited and that's very familiar I, to I us. stood in front of Notre Dame with my daughter. She's doing her leaving cert two, two years ago. We were there just for a couple of days. We stared in Airbnb, very cheap flights. But that was the, the, the most important moment for us. Yeah. And to see that image again, I thought social media played a blinder in this. It's absolutely incredible. In what way? In, in every way. We saw it happening. We saw the story unfolding. We saw that the stories, the standout moments for me, the priest that went in and risked his life to save some of the relics. That was an incredible story. And I found it very emotional. I think most people did. We've, we got caught up in the emotion. Um, the, the, other, the other image that will always stay with me, which was all over social media, was the image of the, the golden shining crucifix that had survived unscathed, uh, surrounded by the debris inside the church. And, for but, me, and, and to me, that represents actually hope. It represents hope for the rebuilding of the church, of that church, and also the Catholic Church I think worldwide. for me, the standout on social media was the video footage of people, mainly Parisians, I would imagine, but also tourists outside singing. Outside of yeah, that's me. That's yeah. As they watched Absolutely. it, Bern, I thought that was the I, one that I was like... I, yeah, I have a friend wow. in Paris, yeah, yeah, and that's exactly what she shared. Mm. Welcome back to The Hard Shoulder with me, Susan Kill, sitting in for Ivan Yates this evening. My panel is here with me, Teresa Lowe, Sabina Brennan and Barbara Scully, and we were talking about some of the stories that caught our eye during the week. Up next, we're going to talk about dog owners being happier than cat owners. And Barbara, I'm coming to you first on this because I do follow you on Instagram (laughs) and on social media. And I know that you're a big lover of cats. I yeah, I am a big. What do you make of this story? I would identify more (laughs) as a cat cat person than a a dog. But I have a dog. Let me say, I have a dog, and I'm an animal lover. So I'm not going to diss any animals. But you um, foxes as well. I have foxes. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Yeah, I have foxes. You don't bring them for a walk. No, 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 no. And I don't tend to get up too close with them. But yeah, they are my friends. Um, But yeah. Yeah, now this research was interesting, which said that um, that those with dogs are are more likely to be happy than those with uh, cats. And one of the the, the reasons they uh, the, the reasons they put this down to was that uh, dog owners are more likely to be married with their own homes. Um, which is, uh, no, they are known factors to boost happiness. And they are also more likely to form friendships with their neighbours because they go out for walks. Like, hello. Anyway, but there was other research, can I br- point to you, which, you know, I think is probably more important, which was doing the rounds on social media this week, which said that cat owners, Sabina's going to love this, cat owners are way are way more intelligent than dog owners. Oh, where did you find that? Okay, so this study was conducted in America on 600 students and it found that dog people are more social and extroverted, read needy, need constant affirmation. Uh, Whereas cat lovers are more sensitive and open-minded. Now, it did also mention that those who prefer cats are more neurotic, but I don't know what that means. You're just going to ignore that bit. I'm going to ignore that bit. So cat people, it said, tend to stand up for what they think, no matter what the environment says. 
So they tend to be more independent, much like cats themselves. They generally, cat owners are more educated um, <laughs> and have a higher intelligence. I must get a cat. Yeah. The study <laughs> states that cats are usually more independent than dogs. And this could be a major factor, allowing their cat owners to be more independent themselves and devote more time to their studies or their writing. A lot so of writers all, have cats. Yeah, they don't have to mind the exactly. dog all the time. So, the bottom line here is for me anyway is that you know if you need constant reassurance that you are a fabulous person get a dog your dog no matter what kind of a person you are is going to think you are brilliant I could come in my front door 20 times an hour and my dog would levitate with excitement every time I cross the threshold do you prefer your cat or your dog <gasps> oh that's easy oh really oh that's easy my dog I love very much okay. and he's an elderly dog and he will die very soon uh, and you will not be replaced okay. I've done the dog thing I could not live without at least one and preferably four uh, cats <laughs> so I think that makes it quite clear Okay Sabina dogs yes. or cats? Well actually now I've had both Okay I'm just a sucker for, 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 for animals and I rescue a lot of animals so one example I went up to and we already had a cat at this point and I went up to rescue a kitten and I came home with the entire litter. Oh, so gosh, that's the gosh. kind of sucker I am. So at one point I had six cats and three dogs, seven cats and three dogs. So a bit of a menagerie. My mother used to say to me, everybody will call you the little old lady down the lane with the cats. <laughs> anyway, I don't have any cats anymore. Um, have you a dog? I have three dogs okay. and I had five dogs. So I'm a serial dog rescuer. And um, I have to say, yes, um, dogs... Um, they make you smile. Dogs even smile at you. Cats won't do that. Now, my dogs and cats used to sleep together and everything. That actually made me smile even more. But I have a little snippet for Barbara. Oh, here we go. <laughs> here we go. Take her down. Well, I've, number one, I'm wondering, you know, if you're both a cat and a dog owner, where does that, where does that leave you? I know, you? I've pinned my colours fairly firmly You've, you've to pinned the yours. I, I would probably pin mine to the dog mast yes, now, if I'm I honest. Think, yes. I absolutely would pin mine to the dog mast. Um, but a little piece of Okay, uh, I'm bracing myself. I'm a neuroscientist and this week was a British Neuroscience uh, Association Festival of Neuroscience. So I got to speak, hear some wonderful uh, speakers speaking and one of them was a Brazilian neuroscientist and she is the woman who actually figured out how many neurons we have in our brain. It's amazing. She, she made brain soup. Nobody else thought about it. She actually blended a brain and then was able to I can't wait to, to see quantify. where this is going. It's amazing. I cannot wait so to see where this is So she has done this. Humans have 86 billion uh, neurons all over their brain, but the crinkly bit, the cortex, we have 16 billion neurons. So what she's done is she has compared the size of the cerebral cortex across species, across primates, across birds, various animals. I thought you were going to say between cat lovers and dog lovers. She has compared, no, but what she has done is compared the brains of cats and dogs. Okay. Guess who has the most neurons? Oh, please, (laughs) if you live with cats and dogs, you will have no doubt as to which is the more intelligent. No, cats Cats. have 250 million cortical neurons, whereas dogs have 530 million cortical neurons. But they don't. Dogs are more (laughs) clever than cats. But it's the owners you're talking about. Teresa, what do you prefer, cats or dogs? Are they uh, uh, cat owners that did the study. What do I prefer? Okay, I have to tell you, dogs. But I'm going to qualify that with, um, and I'm actually allergic to cats, but I visited a cousin in England there recently and they have a dog, they have a cat called Fluffy and it's the most magnificent cat. It's white, it's beautiful, it's perfect. It kills mice every night and brings it into the house. And you know, displays the the the, the mice to, to to my cousin and his wife. That uh, sounds like, like my that? worst nightmare. They, 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 they like that. They, they don't particularly like it, but they, they just 
they just they're in love with this cat and you wouldn't blame them now here's another because it's so beautiful also as I, I as you say as I said I'm, I'm I'm allergic to cats but I saw a video yesterday of a guy playing the piano and his cat it's called Sweet Meow uh, you should look it up he's playing the piano and the cat is cuddling him is very affectionate is stroking his face it is the most beautiful video. So that made me think, yeah, they are lovely. They can be and you lovely. you cannot buy a cat's love. A dog's love is completely unconditional. doesn't matter That's what true. you do to the dog. The dog will absolutely well, love well, you we all have, the time. We have a dog. But dogs cats rescue humans. They we, we have a hurt dog. sheep. They like, can do the most amazing yeah, they work They can sleep in our bed as well, which is <laughs> oh, what happens with our dog. No. We have a Yorkshire Terrier. And the dog is, well, he, he goes between, she, it's a she, Polo, she goes between my daughter's room and when she's tired of that at about five in the morning, she scratches the door. I get out of bed, let her in. She comes into our bed. She goes up to Frank. She cuddles under the, the sheets with him and he's lying there. She's lying there in the crook of his arm. And I don't sleep very well, so I quite often look over and Frank will stir in his sleep and just kiss her forehead. And so this <laughs> okay, dog... This is all starting to get a little bit freaky. Is, this Can dog I just say, I hereby rest my case about cat odours being way more she together more than, than a family member. Julie, so, so Twitter, more Twitter guys, the kids probably I will be posting Frank. my dogs and Barbara, you can post my your cats. My cats feature all the time. <laughs> oh the cat, are the cats in the bed with you, Barbara? No. No, occasionally one will sleep at the end of the bed, but no, I do not, not want my the cat bed. up in, or no more than I want my dog, but my dog is being the age that he is, knows he's not allowed upstairs, so he doesn't go upstairs. See, we should have educated our, maybe we are less educated <sighs> loving dogs. Oh, no, they they have more university degrees, people with cats. I know they do, yeah. I know they do. I'm booking the trend now. We're moving on to another story uh, after that we'll have to agree to disagree on whether cats or dogs Sorry, are I think better. I won. Yeah, I think you probably did. <laughs> <laughs> now, earlier this week uh, the former co-directors of Together for Yes they were included in the Time 100 list. Barbara, I was delighted to see this. Yeah, I mean this I actually saw it somewhere and didn't realise it was like actually Time magazine. Yeah, I thought they'd I made some Irish list. Mm. Um so yeah, I mean this is 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 very impressive and it is a great plaudit uh for the women. Um but I mean as Orlo O'Connor from the National Women's Council said, she considered it an award for all who were involved in the campaign and particularly and I think we would all agree with this, particularly the women, the individual women who shared very deeply traumatic and very personal and private stories uh, in order to 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 help people to understand why we needed to repeal the Eighth Amendment. So, uh, but I'm particularly of the trio and I hate to pick out anybody and I hate these kind of things that pick out because you always think then of all the other people who maybe yeah, should Yeah, because there was a lot of people involved in There was a lot of people campaign. involved, yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of people involved in a lot of campaigns yeah, yeah, of, uh, of various different natures. But that said, I was particularly delighted for Alva Smith because she has been, for so long, she had that big longevity of fighting for women's rights, um, for equality. Um, she's been a voice, a really great voice for feminism in this country. So um, I was particularly pleased that she so was So just included. to give the detail, Gráinne Griffin, a founding member of the Abortion Rights Campaign, Orlo O'Connor, um, as Barbara mentioned, their co-director of Together for Yes and director of the National Women's Council of Ireland and Alva Smith uh, from the Coalition to Repeal the Eighth Amendment. So they all appeared on this Time 100 list. Uh, lots of really, really other incredible Incredible women on this list, Sabina. What did you think? It's nice for people to get recognition like that. Oh, absolutely. And actually, if I recall correctly, and, and I'm sure listeners will will 
tell me if I'm wrong, but I think actually Rory O'Neill, a.k.a. Panty Bliss, made the list in 2015 after oh, okay, the marriage yeah. So actually it's nice, you know, to, to, you know, after two kind of... Big where, events where we in Ireland. spotlight yeah. on yeah. us. But actually I went through the whole list, actually. I mean, I know Orla personally, so like it's, it's, it's fabulous to see and know the kind of work. And it's not just in this area. They work in other mm-hmm. areas as well, which is really, really exciting. But I thought I'd go through the list and it was fantastic to look at the list. How many women are on the list. You know, it's really nice to see yeah. that there was quite a good, it looked to me anyway, very gender balanced. And it goes across lots of lots of aspects of life, you know, political. And Different industries. Yeah, and yeah, arenas. like Sandra Oh, you know, the actor, actress, like yeah. she, she's on the list in the most amazing cream suit. You have to just <laughs> see it. But uh, Nancy Pelosi's mm. on the list. Um, Can I just say one thing about Nancy Pelosi? Nancy Pelosi, who was in Ireland this week, I didn't realise until I heard the news last night, is 79. Gosh, mm. 79. 79. She is an incredible yes. role model wow. for older women, which Gosh. is one of the things I'm always talking about, yeah. is, you know, that she is a woman who is absolutely in her power right now with all this yep. great yes. experience yeah. behind yeah. her. And I thought she was just one of the most impressive women Ageism I've seen in a long time. Ageism is the last taboo here. Oh, There's ageism is has to be so tackled. rampant. Yeah. And it doesn't matter, you know. Do you think, Teresa, it's You're funny because I was... Um, yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. I, was talk- I was in for Kira Kelly on Lunchtime Live this week and it's one of the topics that we covered. And I mean, you know, 50 now is the new 30. You yeah, know, absolutely. because everybody is doing everything so much later. So people yeah. are only starting to buy houses, have children, all that sort of stuff in their 40s. So people who are 50 often have six and seven year old children. So they will still be working when they're 70. They will still have mortgages when they're 70. So it's like the 50 should be the new 30. But it should be. But it's not the case. And we had so many people get in contact, you know, people who are trying to launch second careers. Yes. Having absolutely no luck whatsoever, and it was well, always people the, who were the, in their the, late the 40s, problem is, early The 50s. problem is this: that, that uh, for instance, I have a, um, I have um, a sister-in-law who's working in the bank. I won't mention the bank, but she is due to retire. She's at the height of her powers now. Her experience is incredible. Um, she's never been healthier. Her children are long grown up, and she doesn't want to leave. But this is the situation. She's she is forced to leave. Um, you see women particularly that don't want to mention their age. I have it out there what my age is. I'm proud of my age. I'm proud of of everything. You know the wrinkles, the whole lot. Uh, that's who I am, and I, I'm not. I, I can't hide my age because my children revealed it when I was forty many years ago. <laughs> but 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 it it, it it is an awful thing, ageism, and and um, and and in relation to men as well. And you know this this might sound like a bit of trivia. But I, I discovered from uh, talking to somebody who's in the know that during the recession, a lot of men had um, facial surgery, facial treatments, you know, Botox, the whole lot, because they were losing jobs. They wanted to look fresh. They wanted to look younger. There's this absolute drive to look younger. But, you know, the thing is that somebody in their 70s, somebody like Nancy Pelosi, if you're in your full health if your mental faculties Absolutely. are good, there's nobody like Absolutely. her. Nobody and like her. And the wealth her. of experience. Sabina, what do you think? Oh, well, Lizzie, you're getting me on my bandwagon because I write about ageism. I give talks about ageism. Um, it is actually um, horrific and it's very, very real. You mentioned it about it in the workplace. It's actually very real in our healthcare system. Yes. Ageism is absolutely rife. There are human rights being violated in our hospitals um, on the basis of ageism. People are treated differently in terms of the treatment that they will get based on age, um, even when that treatment will actually be just as effective in that individual. People are experiencing horrible indignities indignities like being forced to wear incontinence wear um, 
because there are insufficient staff to take an individual to a bathroom. But that is only given to the older people. I would argue and say, are you going to put a 30-year-old in incontinence mm, wear yeah. because you mm. don't have staff? Why is it okay to put an 80-year-old in incontinence wear? So I, right. I, the, the thing is, and I really feel strongly about this because I do give lots of talks about it, and part of the problem is self-ageism. So society yes. is utterly ageist. Everywhere I go, I walk into shops and there are creams and potions that I can go- buy so that I don't look like me. That's the message you're getting out and It's there. always an 18-year-old um, who's also, modelling it. Also, here's the thing. You, you, you jumped on it. You mentioned it there. With age, wisdom grows. Older people are far better at decision-making. Nancy Pelosi is a, is a good, good, good you know, example. example of that. And actually, in my book, I have a whole chapter about this, giving examples of amazing people when we're older. But our self-ageism causes us to behave in ways that make us act older even when we're not and in a way that is detrimental to our health. So we actually stop doing things because you say, oh well, I'm 60 now, I can't do that or oh yeah. well, I'm 70 now. Actually, to be honest, we, we, we even look at our muscles, something as simple as that. People think that you lose all your muscles and muscle strength with age. You lose them because you stop Don't using you. them. Mm. Okay. And I have, there's a, Google uh, Charles Uxter, he was a dentist. He took up weightlifting at 80 and became a world champion. There's another one wonderful woman, Ernestine, and I can't remember her surname. She is a, a, a world in the Guinness Book of Records as the oldest bodybuilder that we have. She's oh, I've fully seen her. ripped. Seen her, yeah. Fully ripped and um, she took up weightlifting at 56. <coughs> um, and, but it, it applies to your mental function to everything. And what I'd say to anyone listening out there who is older, we have to start speaking up. We have to start calling out ageism And you, mm. and, and you know what's ourselves. really interesting, I think, about women is that when you are postmenopausal, when you are usually in your mid to late 50s, it's the first time in a very long time that you are completely free from your biology. In other mm. words, mm. women live with their biology from the time they start to menstruate. That's very true, actually. And suddenly yeah. you There's are completely yeah, free absolutely. of your biology for the mm. first time since you were a girl. Your kids, if you have kids, are probably grown. You are, and as 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 Sabina said, you have this wisdom, you have the experience. Yeah. And what does society tell you? You should be fighting aging. You yeah. should not be looking your age. And so it's absolutely. Why do and also, do that? you should be women, slowing down. Like women it, are and, so and, and, and not only slowing down, you should be giving opportunities to younger people. Yeah. So haven't yeah. you had your day? Shouldn't yeah. you be going off into retirement? And I that has been said to me. Can I say to you about you were talking about your book, Sabina? I have a podcast series called The Other Side, and the, the, we've interviewed many people now in this podcast. But the three standouts for me: Mihola Hertig, who's eighty-eight; yeah. uh, George Hook, who's seventy-seven. And Ricky Tomlinson, who's 80 in September, they are incredible. They'd buy and sell anybody but they don't have 20s. to. They don't have to listen They're to the fantastic. baloney about having to, having to fight ageing, which is the thing that absolutely drives me mad. And they all face mad. ageism, every one oh, of them. Oh yeah, yeah. Every but one of them. I, I, I do think, and no. when, when I was uh, thinking about Nancy Pelosi this week, I was thinking of Gloria Steinem, that tremendous feminist writer from America who said that someday the world will someday an army of grey-haired women shall take over the world. <laughs> yes. And I'm wondering, oh, yes. has yeah. it, is yeah. it starting to happen? Well, I, when I, it does... I was confronted on Twitter just the same as you and I gave my answer back. It was, you know, people in their 50s or whatever, it's time for us young folk. And I went, hold on a second. I had my kids. I raised my kids. I put them through university. Now it's, it's my, my turn. Time. Yeah. I didn't get my turn Absolutely. yet. <laughs> now, we're mo- running out of Sorry. time, but I do want to get to our final topic. Anybody who did listen to yesterday's Hard Shoulder uh, would have 
have heard Ivan trying his first ever <laughs> yeah. spice bag. Let's have a little listen to this. The, Ivan. I, I've had a few chips and I had a you bit have, of onion. You've been away the, yeah, yeah. The Spicy. thing is, it, it heats up your mouth and it gives you a, a thing at the back of your throat. Yeah, well, it's You're chilly. Really, There's a lot of chilli there as is well. There? No, he wasn't too impressed. But uh, apparently over the bank holiday weekend, many people will be ordering in rather than cooking. This is according to research that we saw this week from Just Eat Eat. And spice bags are one of our favourite fast food options. Sabine, have you ever had a spice oh, bag? Oh, I have had a spice you bag. You like chilli in everything I do. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, yeah. spice bags are grand. Um, my favourite takeout though, <laughs> and I had it last night, is um, chicken wings. Spicy chicken wings. Nice. Oh my yeah, God! The nice, whole, yeah. the whole lot. Teresa, have you had a spice bag? I've, I've had a little bit of my children's spice bags. They love them. Do and they, they eat them very regularly? Yeah, they do. I mean, and they're kind of addictive. You know, you have one little kind of chickeny bit in, in batter, and it's very spicy. And you have one, and then you say, "Can I have another one?" But yeah. I haven't actually bought one for myself. But this, this survey is, but it's by Just Eat. Yes. With they're kind of promoting <laughs> takeaways. Aren't they? They're saying the takeaway orders. What are would be your takeaway of choice, though? Um. Or do you, now, you have to think about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you to, you're, you're not, not really takeaways. It's like the again, chocolate. No, no, one. they all like takeaways at home. But Frank will get what's that one? The prawn toast. Oh, nice. Kind of quite like that. Just and quite Barbara, nice. have you had a spice bag? Uh, I uh, a bit, uh, uh, <laughs> a bit <laughs> like yourself, Trees. I've had, I, yeah, and no, but I'm a vegetarian as well. So oh, are you vegetarian? Yeah. So no. So my mm. and again because I'm vegetarian, probably my takeout of choice would be Indian because they tend to have the, the the widest variety. But I do think, I mean, I can remember back in the day when we had to take out every Friday night, and the only choice was the local Chinese, where you got an overdose of MSG, MSG. that knocked yeah. you into yeah. a coma well, for hours. Are you You'd limited wake... then in takeaways being no. a vegetarian? What? Well, what would be your takeaway choice? Uh, probably an Indian because Indian food generally tends to be have a lot more vegetarian it's nice dishes. As well. It's nice, uh-huh. yeah. and we have a lovely Indian around have, the corner. Have you from tried us. the vegan burger? I believe there's a there's a, a vegan. A, it's called the Impossible Burger. Well, I make good I make good um, um, bean burgers at home. Um, so I'd say they're yeah. nice. They yeah. are. They're fabulous. Yeah, 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 yeah. How do yeah. you make those? Um, with a food processor <laughs> and beans and onions and now, um, as Teresa's writing down yes. Barbara's uh, recipe here we might Sunday. wrap our final furlong <laughs> for today that is we, all we have time for today a, a whole meal wrap to <laughs> Teresa Lowe Sabina Brennan and Barbara Scully meaning that I was blessed among women here <laughs> on the hard shoulder this evening that is our lot uh, for this week big thanks to the production team Ashling Moore Dan Flanagan Roisin Davis and Alex Russo Off the Ball is up next Jonathan Healy will be back on Monday with the hard shoulder from four o'clock. I'll be here in the morning for News Talk Breakfast from eight o'clock. So do join me then if you can. In the meantime, thanks for listening and have a good, good Friday.